0: Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Uh, welcome back, actually, uh, because this is the second uh and final part of our episode on Soviet serial killer Andre Chikatilo. So, on with the show. Just like we said last week, uh might want to skip out on, on eating during this episode, maybe find something fuzzy to cuddle. Um, yeah. Hug your family yeah. if if you are able in this socially distanced reality that we live in. But it's going to be rough, so welcome.
1: Uh, we left off last week in December 1982, when Chikatilo had just taken his ninth victim, 10-year-old Olga Stalmak-Enoch, I think. Uh, Chikatilo didn't kill again until the summer of 1983, but whilst he was on this break, kind of laying low, the police were actually beginning to make a bit of headway in the investigation. So, as we mentioned last week, a ser- like the concept of a serial killer was considered literally to be a foreign construct uh, in the Soviet Union. It, it was a capitalist thing and it didn't exist in the Soviet Union, in uh, communist society. Mm-hmm. But police finally had to admit that these murders showed so many similarities in both the level of brutality... And the way they were carried out, for example, the striations to the eyes, that they, ha- <coughs> they had to admit that they. <coughs> I'm losing my voice. <coughs> <coughs> All right, right. I'm just going to start that again. So, as we mentioned last week, uh, serial killers were considered to literally be a foreign construct in the soviet union they were a product of a capitalist society and didn't exist in communist countries but police finally had to admit that these murders might be linked because they showed so many similarities in both the level of brutality and the way they were carried out you know, for example the uh, the striations to the eyes which was seen in pretty much every one of of Chikatilo's victims. Mm-hmm. So, four of the murders were linked. So, that's four that were found around the city of Rostov-on-Don. And in January 1983, a Moscow investigation team was drafted into Rostov to help the local law enforcement. So, the team was headed up by Mikhail Fetisov. And the investigation eventually became known as Operation Forest Path. And in March... Uh, Fetisov brought in a forensic analyst called Viktor Burakov uh, to lead the investigation. And the following month, so the April, uh, o- Olga's body was finally discovered and linked to the other victims. So by now, they'd linked five of Chikatilo's nine victims together. Mm-hmm.
0: So due to the sheer brutality of the murders and the way some of the internal organs were removed. Police began to theorize that they were searching for either a group that was um, harvesting organs to sell on the black market for transplant, uh, a satanic cult, a pedophile, or a group of people with mental health issues. Um, And uh, like we talked about last week, uh, people with mental health problems weren't treated kindly by authorities in the Soviet Union. Law enforcement focused mostly on the theory that um, a pedophile, a homosexual, or a mentally ill person or persons were responsible for the murders. Um,
1: Yeah, because it's also worth noting that in the Soviet Union, as in modern Russia, homophobia was... Rampant. Yeah, that's the word. And homosexuality was treated as a sort of like a mental health Yes. Yeah. Disease. A, a deficiency. that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's what they're focusing
0: on. Uh, the investigation was actually quite thorough, even though they were looking, you know, in the wrong places. Um, uh, and although this investigation didn't find Chikatilo, they did manage to solve more than 1,000 unrelated violent crimes including 95 murders and 245 rapes,
1: which is a lot of crimes. Yeah. And I mean, they did this a lot by, like, um, flipping suspects, essentially turning them into informants. Um, And we say solved doesn't mean they solved them in the, like, doesn't mean they got the right person. It meant that the cases were closed and someone was in prison or, you know, sentenced to death for the crimes. Yeah. Law enforcement's heavy-handed tactics weren't without their casualties. Of course not. In September 1983, a number of youths who were considered to be, quote, intellectually disabled were subjected to prolonged and brutal interrogations and ended up confessing to the murders, which, you know, fitted the police theory that it could be a group Mm -hmm. of disabled or mentally unwell people. But... As the bodies of more and more young people were found after the confessions, law enforcement, law enforcement realised it couldn't be these youths murdering them. Three homosexual men and at least one registered sex offender ended their own lives as a result of police interrogation. But while law enforcement were looking in all the wrong places, Chikatilo had been on another spree. Between... June and December 1983, he killed Laura Sarkeesian, who was 15, 13-year-old Irina Dunakova, Yudmila Kutsi-Bear, who was 24, Igor Gudkov, who was 7, uh, a woman who still not being identified, who was believed to be between the ages of 18 and 25, 22-year-old Valentina Chukulina, uh, Vera who who's 19, and Sergei Markov, who was 14.
0: So the murder of 15-year-old Laura Sarkisian is contested um, because she's listed as one of Chikatilo's victims, but he was ultimately cleared of her murder at his trial. Uh, The unidentified woman listed as one of Chikatilo's victims was a woman he claimed to meet in uh, Novoshaktinsk. Her body was found in October 1983, but she was never identified. Chikatilo killed again in January and February of 1984, murdering 17-year-old Natalia... Ninya, on January 9th and uh, 44-year-old Marta Rybenko, Ry- Rybenko, uh on February 21st. Both were murdered in Aviators Park in the city of Rostov. Also, just a note again, we're so sorry for the pronunciation, but we don't. Yeah speak well, any sort of
1: we're trying our best
0: yeah um right so uh marta was the oldest of chikatilo's victims so she was 44 on march 24th he killed 10 year old dmitry patashnikov after luring him away from a stamp kiosk in novo um there were several witnesses who saw chikatilo with dmitry who were able to give a detailed description of the killer And when the young boy's body was found three days later, police also found a footprint nearby. Um, And semen and saliva samples were found on the boy's clothing. In late May, Chikatilo killed 29-year-old Tatiana Petrosian and her 10-year-old daughter Svetlana in Shakti. Tatiana had reportedly known Chikatilo since 1978 when he and his family uh, had lived in Shakti. Uh, and in June and July, Chikatilo killed four more times, uh, 21-year-old Yelena Bakulina, 13-year-old Dmitry Ilarionov, 19-year-old Anna Lemeshiva, and 20-year-old
1: Sarmitsana. In the summer of 1984, Chikatilo was fired from his job as a supply clerk for stealing a roll of linoleum. What a boring theft. I know, right? He stole
0: floor. What, what
1: do you... <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you really need to redo your kitchen floor that, that badly, badly? you got to steal it from work? Right. <sighs> the accusation had actually been brought about in the February... And he had been asked to quietly resign but he refused so the company investigated him and finally got around to firing him in the summer. But on August 1st he found another supply clerk job at another factory in Rostov which once again meant that he had to travel all around the Soviet Union. And just one day after starting his new job Chikatilo killed Natalia Golosovskaya was 16 in aviators park in rostov and less than a week later he killed 17 year old ludmila Alexeyeva after offering her directions to rostov bus terminal days later um he was on a business trip to soviet uzbek which is now uzbekistan And he murdered another woman, but she, again, has never been identified. Uh, But she was estimated to be between the ages of 20 and 25, and that's all we know about her. He committed a second murder whilst on this business trip, this time in the Uzbek capital of Tashkent. Um, Ten-year-old Akmaral Seydalyeva. Was a runaway from Kazakhstan. Ten years old and a runaway. Uh, I know. And I know obviously the border situation is different then because it's all one. You know, it's, it's the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And, but Kazakhstan's a big country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to run away and get as far as... Uzbekistan. As the Uzbek capital is. Yeah. It's just so sad.
0: It is. It's horrible amongst all of the other horrible things happening in the story like it's there's, it's layers it's an onion full of horrible yeah that's what this episode is so glad you're listening aren't you
1: yeah so just a nice like 10 second palate cleanser yeah it's kind of like i don't know if you remember so i think it was like the first year that we would have lived in glasgow someone was giving out chocolate apples at Halloween they were actually chocolate onions they were like dipping onions oh. in chocolate and giving them to the kids oh no <laughs> oh that would it's be an, onion an unpleasant taste.
0: surprise it's onion of sorrow
1: of... yeah I mean don't get me wrong I love onion Um, it is one of my favourite vegetables Same. Put it in everything. But if I think I'm getting a chocolate apple, I don't want to bite in and find an onion. You don't want to. No. No one wants that. Absolutely no one. So
0: after returning to Rostov, Chikatilo murdered 11-year-old Alexander uh, Chappelle on the bank of the River Don on August 28th. And less than two weeks later, on September 6th, he murdered 24-year-old librarian Irina Luchinskaya. Um, she disappeared on her way to a sauna and was found in Aviator's Park. Uh, then Cecatilla went quiet for 11 months, uh, but not entirely uh, of his own volition. On September 13th, undercover detectives spotted him trying to talk to girls at the Rostov bus station. So these detectives followed him through the city and witnessed him trying to talk to numerous women and uh, saw him commit acts of frauterism in public places. And if uh, one is not familiar, frauterism is the act of rubbing one's pelvic region or erect penis against another person in a non-consensual act for sexual pleasure. Lovely. So he was arrested at Rostov's Central Market, and during a search of his belongings, he was found to be in a possession of an 8-inch knife, or 20 centimeters, um, several lengths of rope, and a jar of Vaseline. It's the
1: Vaseline that freaks me out. Yep. Yep. Uh, law enforcement officers discovered that he had been fired from his previous job for theft, And so they applied to hold him for longer than the usual period, whilst they continue to investigate him. The usual period is ten days. It's not like here, where it's is it forty eight hours? Yeah, something like that. Uh, They discovered his checkered history.
0: Putting it nicely,
1: when it came when it came to employment, and he matched the eyewitness descriptions of the man seen leading Dimitri Tashnikov away from the stamp kiosk. So a sample of Chikatilo's blood was taken, which you would think would match the samples at the crime scenes and it would all be over. <laughs> Alas not. You'd be wrong. Um, at this point in the 1980s, they were only able to carry out blood group typing, not a full DNA profile. And Chikatilo's blood was type A. And this didn't match the type A B uh, semen samples which had been recovered from six of the victims. Now this is because Chick Taylor was a, a non-secretor, which means that his blood type didn't match the typing found in other bodily fluids such as semen and saliva. Chick was largely discounted as being this you know forest path unknown serial killer because the blood types didn't match. But his name was added to the investigators' files, and it was recorded that he had been, you know, questioned and blood typed and everything in relation to this, to the killings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was found guilty of the theft from his previous employer and sentenced to one year in prison, but he served just under three months and was released on December twelfth, nineteen eighty four. Uh, whilst he was in prison, the head of public proce- of the public prosecutor's office formally linked Chiquitilo to what at this point was 23 murders uh, which had so far been linked to this one unknown serial killer Um, so all charges were dropped against the group of youths with uh, special educational needs on October 8th were however still 10 murders which hadn't been linked to the serial killer so
0: when you say when, when we say here that Chikatilo was formally linked to the twenty-three murders, does that mean that like it's they knew he was They he a was a special suspect? suspect. Okay. Um But they didn't but they weren't sitting there like this guy definitely did it.
1: No. They okay. they kind of had him as an official suspect, but they couldn't really do anything because the blood samples didn't match and they didn't have mm-hmm any more information like anything concrete yeah um at this point okay so so that makes sense i was like well if they knew he did it then just go get him
0: all right so upon his release from prison chikatilo found work again as a supply clerk um this time at a locomotive factory in Um. and once again this job allowed him to travel across the soviet union but Chikatilo kept a low profile for a few months and uh, didn't kill again until August 1st, 1985. So on a business trip to the Moscow Oblast, Chikatilo met 18-year-old Natalia Poklistova at a railway station near Domodedovo Airport. Don't think I good.
1: like that name because it's Every, it's like consonant vowel, consonant vowel, consonant vowel. (laughs) Oh, it is. It's very. So you can sound it out quite easily.
0: Domo de Dovo. Um, so, uh, that's about 25 miles Southeast of Moscow. Uh, He lured her away from the station platform into a wooded area and stabbed her 38 times, then strangled her and further mutilated her body. Uh, now, uh, remember that the team who were guiding the investigation in Rostov were originally from Moscow. So when they heard of Natalia's murder, they linked it to the killer that they were hunting in the Rostov oblast. Uh, And investigators theorized that since the murder had taken place near the airport and Natalia had uh, last been seen at the station near the airport, the murderer must have flown from Rostov to Moscow. So they checked flight manifests and all records that were available for passengers who had flown from Rostov to Moscow between late July and early August and ran down the names and leads that came from the passenger information, but nothing came of it. Uh, Because on this particular occasion, Chikatilo had traveled to Moscow by train and there were no passenger records for trains like there were for airlines. So investigators had no idea that Chicotillo had been in Moscow at the time of Natalia's murder.
1: That is, like, obviously this whole thing is just one big onion of awfulness, as we Mm. have said, but they were actually doing a really thorough job of investigating, which isn't something we say often about (laughs)
0: politics. Yeah, and, like, it's quite a good like catch to say like oh well it sounds like this is the same guy from rostov this victim was seen at the airport or near the airport or whatever i bet this guy went from rostov to moscow like that's that's some good like deductive reasoning there
1: yeah four weeks later chikatilo struck again this time in the city of Shakti, when he lured 18 year old Irina Gulieva from the bus station into a nearby wooded area where he brutally murdered her. The violent wounds found on Irina's body linked her to the other victims of this unknown serial killer, who by now they were referring to as the Forest Path Killer because most of the victims were being found in wooded areas. Mm. So, following Irina's murder, Chikatilo would take another break and he kept a low profile for almost two years. Uh. Now, this might have been due to the fact that in November 1985, Special Procurator Isa Kostoyev was assigned to supervise the investigation. At this point in late 1985, 25 detectives and 15 procurators were working exclusively on the case. And if you're like me and don't know what a procurator is and can barely say the word, <laughs> it is a representative from the courts. So I think it's similar to like a district attorney type of role.
0: Yeah, that's what it sounds like.
1: Um, yeah. All of the forest path murders were reinvestigated. Once again registered sex offenders and known homosexuals were interrogated.
0: I just love the phrase this, known homosexuals. It's like Yeah. It, I am a I am a known homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: yeah, this wasn't the biggest change in the investigation. So, uh, Viktor Borakov, the forensic investigator who'd been brought in to lead the investigation, brought in a forensic psychologist called Dr. Alexander Bukhanovsky. And this was the first time that a serial killer investigation had consulted a psychiatrist in the Soviet Union. That's cool. I mean, partly because they didn't believe in serial killers, but <laughs> from time to time they did have to admit that they existed. Um so all of the investigation files were made available to Dr. Bukhanovsky and he produced a sixty-five page long psychological profile. Damn, son. Yeah. Now, obviously
0: we do not have the time, or the patience for that matter, to go through the entire sixty-five page profile here, but uh we will give you the basics. So
1: the highlight reel. Yeah, the
0: <laughs> the summary, the cliff notes spark notes version um so dr bukanovsky's profile proposed that the killer would be a reclusive man age 45 to 50 years old who had suffered a traumatic and isolated childhood uh, the man would be of average intelligence and would likely be married with children although he would have trouble communicating flirting with or dating women His wife likely just let him get on with his life and didn't interfere and probably didn't know anything about the murders. Uh, He would be a sadist who suffered with impotence and could only achieve sexual arousal by inflicting suffering upon his victims. The murders were an analog for the sexual intercourse the murderer was incapable of performing and thus the use of a knife became a substitute for his penis, which failed to function. Dr... Bukhanovsky also posited that, as most of the murders in Rostov-on-Don had been committed on uh, weekends, and those elsewhere in the Rostov oblast were often committed during the week near major transport hubs, the killer likely had a job which required him to travel.
1: And now you see why we went into so much detail last week about Chikatilo's upbringing and early life. Yeah, because this profile was. Spot on. That's perfect. Chiktyla literally fits all of the main criteria. And he also followed the investigation quite closely. So the police, who are actually called the Militia in Soviet times, you know, haven't done much history this episode, so, you know. Yeah, you gotta get some in there. <laughs> yeah. So the Militia resumed surveillance of train stations around Rostov. Uh, female officers in plain clothes would hang around the stations in an attempt to attract the killer. Uh, no murders were linked to the Forest Path killer in nearly two years. The murder of 33-year-old Lubov Golovka in Mayasnikovsky, district of Rostov, on the 23rd of July uh, 1986, was tentatively linked mainly because the semen type matched that found on the serial killers of the victims, but was eventually discounted as her murder did not exhibit the same level of brutality that uh, Chikatilo's victims did. In August 1986, the body of 18-year-old Irina Pogoliova was found in the city of Bataesk, which is about 10 miles away from Rostov-on-Don. We are not going to describe her injuries because they are horrific. The details are out there on the internet if you so wish to read about them. But suffice it to say that she was horrifically murdered. Her body bore all the injuries that were associated with the Forest Path killer. But despite this, she is not listed as a confirmed victim. Due to the fact that Chikatilo confessed and retracted his confession to her med multiple times uh, during his trial well after his arrest and trial and it couldn't be proven that he killed her um
0: so uh so with no more murders in Rostov in 1986 investigators theorized that the murderer may have moved to another part of the Soviet Union they sent bulletins to law enforcement all over the Soviet Union, describing the murders, the injuries, victimology, and psychological profile, um, asking that the uh, departments contact them if there was a murder that matched the Forest Path killer. But they received no responses. Um, so Chicatillo began killing again in May 1987 but the three murders he committed in 1987 were all committed while he was away on business nowhere near Rostov. 12-year-old Oleg Makarenkov was murdered on May 16th. He was a boarding school student in Revda in the Svedorlovsk Oblast, which is in the Urals um, and is where the city of Yekaterinburg is, uh, if that helps anyone. It doesn't help me, but uh...
1: <laughs> I know it's quite a famous city. As okay, well, outside of like Moscow, Saint Petersburg, and Vladivostok, nobody knows cities in Russia either. But I know that Yekaterinburg is quite well known. So it's quite historic. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's like. If that helps anyone, it's kind of there. G- good luck with the Russian
0: geography. It's over yeah. It's over my head. Um, I'm going to need to look at a map after we finish recording this one, <laughs> I think. Um, so his body wasn't found until years later when Chikatilo had been arrested and he actually led detectives to Oleg's body. On July 29th, Chikatilo killed 12-year-old Ivan... Bilovsky, in a wooded area by a railway line in the city of Zaporizhia in Soviet Ukraine. Uh, Ivan's own father found his body the next day. Six weeks later, Chikotillo traveled to St. Petersburg, or Leningrad, as it was uh, called in the 1980s, uh, where he murdered 16-year-old vocational student Yuri Teresh. Shonak, after luring him off the train. Like Oleg, Yuri wasn't found until years later when Chikatilo led law enforcement to uh, his body following his arrest.
1: Uh, Chikatilo laid low for seven months following Yuri's murder but in April 1988 he murdered a woman who is still unidentified. She was estimated to be aged between 22 and 28 and was found outside a metals factory In Krasny sulin in the Rostov Oblast, investigators noted the similarities between her murder and the forest path victims. But there were significant differences in the way she was killed as she died from blunt force trauma to the head rather than stab wounds or strangulation. And there was no uh, disembowelment or removal of organs as was seen in most of the forest path victims. Uh, and as a result, they weren't sure whether or not to include her in the list of the forest path killer's victims. The following month, he travelled to Soviet Ukraine for work, and on May 15th, he murdered nine-year-old Alexei Voronoko in Atomivsk, which is now known as Bakhmut. Um, some say... So, there's differences for this one. So some sources say it was a city of Elove Elovesk. Um, but we're not sure. But both those cities are in the Donetsk Donetsk uh Oblast in eastern Ukraine. So oh. Somewhere around there then. Yeah. It was in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. In July, Chikdinalo killed in the Rostov-on-Don area for the first time in three years So on July 14th uh, Chikotilo murdered 15-year-old Yevgeny Muratov near the Don Leshkoz railway station his body wouldn't be found until the following April by which time the remains were mostly skeletal but he was still quickly linked to the forest path murders because the, s- the extensive uh, stab wounds and other injuries were evident on the bones. Mm. We're trying not to be too graphic with these descriptions yeah. because we would rather, you know, honour the victims by naming them than going into detail about what happened to a few of them. Yeah, but it's all uh, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, the The violence was that extensive that it was evident on the bones. On the bones yeah Um so
0: Chickcatillo didn't kill again until march nineteen eighty nine when he murdered sixteen year old tatianaraishova Rys- uh she was a runaway from Krasny Sulin, but unlike his previous victims, Chicatillo this time killed in his daughter's apartment rather than outside. Uh, he hid Tatiana's body in a sewer and she was found eight days later on March 9th, but police didn't link her to the Forest Path killer. On May 11th, he killed eight-year-old Alexander Diakonov in a wooded area of Rostov-on-Don. In July, he murdered 10-year-old Aleski Moiseev. and following his arrest, Chikatilo described Alexei as a boy from Kolchugno, in the Vladimir Oblast, uh, who, whom he took from the beach into the forest, uh, and he was not linked to the forest path investigation either. Uh, the third victim of 1989 was 19-year-old student Yelena Varga. Uh, she was originally from Hungary, and Chikatilo lured her off a bus and killed her in a village just outside of Rostov-on-Don on August 19th. So on August 28th, he murdered a uh, 10-year-old, Aleski Kobotov, after meeting him near a theater in Shakti. He buried the boy in a shallow grave and he was only found when Chikatilo confessed following his arrest and uh, led police to the gravesite.
1: With the reemergence of the forest path killer in the Rostov area, police once again stepped up their surveillance operations now that they knew the killer was active in the area again. So, local trains were fitted with security cameras, plainclothes, officers travelled on the trains, they filmed and photographed passengers in the hopes that if another victim turned up, they would have been seen in the company of the killer on a train. Uh, once again, Taylor kept a low profile for a while when the investigation got ramped up. That was until January 14th, 1990. When he abducted 11-year-old Andrei Kravchenko from his home in Shakti, his body was found a month later in a wooded area of Shakti. That is interesting because that's the first time he's taken someone from a home. Yeah. Like, it seems like... I was just going to say, it's maybe in sort of response to the sort of increased surveillance on the trains. Yeah. That he... If he is following the investigation and he is... is travelling around a lot, he probably, you know, yeah. so it's possible that he realised, all oh, these people are always on this train. They're yeah. maybe, you know, maybe they're just not quite surreptitious enough in taking pictures or, you know. Anything could have happened where he just happened to notice or realise that they were undercover officers and kind of, right, okay, we'll, we'll avoid picking people up on the train for now yeah well and also like it
0: almost seems like he's getting he's he he's changing things up a bit and i don't know if it's like an escalation necessarily but it's a i feel like he's getting more brazen like he's he's abducting someone from their home he killed someone in his daughter's apartment like
1: yeah Yeah, i i wonder if it's like you say it's it's definitely more brazen. It's a, like almost like a confidence thing as well. Like,
0: yeah, it's so like well, I've gotten away could, with this money.
1: Yeah, it could be like, oh well, I can get away with it because they can't catch me. Or on the other hand, yeah. it could be avoiding the public transport to avoid or try and avoid undercover officers if he's like one yeah. of them. But we don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Um. On March eighth. Ten-year-old Yaroslav Makarov was playing truant from school when he met Chiktilo at a Rostov train station. Cicatillo lured the boy to Rostov Botanical Gardens and his body was found there the following day. Just two days after Yaroslav's body was discovered, the leaders of the forest path investigation held a meeting to discuss the case. Uh, head of the case, Mikhail Fetisov, uh, was under enormous public pressure, pressure from interior ministers in Moscow, because the case had now been ongoing for six years. And although thousands of other cases had now been solved, they were seemingly no closer to finding the forest path killer. And by 1990, there is a much greater freedom of the press uh, inside the Soviet Union than there had been under previous uh, Soviet leaders. He would sort of massively suppress the media and what they could report on and everything had to be, like, state-sanctioned. And so, you know, a serial killer, this forest path killer, is, like, perfect tabloid fodder for a newly freed press. Quite sadly, but... (laughs) It's just the way... Just the way the public operate. Yeah, so
0: in 1990 Gorbachev was in office wasn't yes he? so yeah that that's that's a little sort of context if that helps you yeah think about My it at
1: all speak more about Gorbachev in later on as well because few interesting things happen in the next year or so <laughs> just a few um <laughs>
0: So, uh, Chikatilo killed three more times between March and August of 1990. In April, he was traveling from Chur- Churkask, uh to Shakti when he met 31-year-old Loibov Zuyeva. Um, her body was found in uh, the woodlands near the Donlishkov station. Uh, In July, he lured 13-year-old Viktor Petrov from the Rostov-Glavny train station where his family were waiting for a train and murdered him in uh, Rostov Botanical Gardens, just meters from where he had killed Yaroslav Makarov in March of that year. Uh, In August, he murdered 11-year-old Ivan Fomen at a municipal beach in Novochurkask, Churka- uh, when the boy entered a thicket to change his clothes. The discovery of these bodies sparked a huge police operation. Um, uh, as many victims had been discovered along a single route through the Rostov Oblast, uh, Viktor Borkov, who was leading the investigation alongside Mikhail Fetisov suggested that they flood the main stations with uniformed officers, so much so that the killer couldn't fail to notice the heavy police presence, and the smaller, less populated stations would be surveilled by undercover, plainclothes officers, with the aim of forcing the murderer to the smaller stations where it would be easier to spot and apprehend him.
1: Uh, This operation began on October 27th, 1990. 360 uniformed officers were deployed to the main train stations but only three of the smaller stations were surveilled by undercover officers that was Don Donlechaz and Leostep, as these were the main areas where the killer had uh, struck. Uh, Three days later the body of 16-year-old Vadim Gromov was found near the Don Lashau's station. Vadim was a student from Shakti who was travelling by train to Taganrog when Chiktilo had lured him off the train. It was, the, it was later determined that he had been killed on October 17th, which is 10 days before the operation began. Oh. Yeah, The same day that vadim's body was found so that's October thirtieth Chiilo struck again he lured a uh, sixteen year old Victor Tchenko from a train in at from a train at the Kiprinia station uh, which is in Shakti. I don't think we mentioned that before um that that's the name of the station in shakti um So, Victor left the station with Chikatilo, even though the station was under surveillance by undercover officers, and Chikatilo murdered him in the nearby forest, but Victor fought hard, really fought for his life, and he broke Chikatilo's finger and bit him, like, very severe, deep bites, and he is the only victim that we know of to actually injure uh, Chikatilo, Do you think mostly he went for younger children or he went for for women Mm -hmm. and girls who sadly he could easily overpower? Uh, Victor's body was found on November 3rd. So on November 6th,
0: 1990, Chikatilo murdered 22-year-old Svetlana Karostik in the uh, woodlands near Donlushkov, on the Shkaz station, which was under surveillance, surveillance can't say any words anymore. God, um. So she was Chikatilo's fifty-third and final victim. When he returned to the station, undercover officer Igor Rybakov spotted him and became suspicious. Chikatilo was approaching a well to wash his hands and face, uh, and Igor. Igor?
1: I would say Igor, but I don't know if that's Igor. right.
0: Igor, or possibly Igor, uh, noticed that chikatilo had a red smear on his cheek, a severe wound to his finger, and he also had soil stains on his clothes and shoes. And uh, the only reason people usually went into the woods in this area was to pick mushrooms, which was apparently a popular pastime in that area of the Soviet Union. Weirdly enough, I have heard that before. So, checks out. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, so it's popular to pick mushrooms in the area, but uh, Ciccatello wasn't dressed for walking and scavenging in the woods, and nor did he have a suitable bag for collecting mushrooms. What makes a bag suitable for that purpose?
1: I don't know. It was just mentioned in one of the sources. Was that... good drainage or like... I don't know, I think it's like, you know, like a plastic bag of some description and he had like a, you know, like a, a fabric bag, I think it was.
0: Uh, right, so he did not have a suitable mushroom bag. So, uh... Igor stopped Chikatilo and checked his papers. He didn't really have any reason to detain Chikatilo, so he let him go. But when he returned to his office, he filed in a routine report saying he had stopped Chikatilo, noting the possible blood smear on his cheek and uh, his suspicious
1: nature. A week later, on November 13th, Svetlana's body was found in the woodland area near Don Leshoes Station. At the time, she was the 36th victim to be linked to the Forest Path killer, even though she was actually uh, Chikatilo's 53rd 53rd. victim. Uh, The police summoned uh, Igor Igor, uh, and the other officers who were manning that station and examined their reports, who they'd stopped, what had been going on, all that kind of thing uh, throughout the previous week. And would you know it, Andre Ciccetillo's name came up. Shocking. So many officers were already familiar with him after his arrest in 1984. And he'd also been placed on the you know official suspect list more than once, actually. I think <laughs> when the sort of reinvestigation began in 1987, he was placed on the list again. But there'd never been anything to definitively link him to the murders. So police very quickly interviewed Chikatilo's former colleagues and employers and found out about his history of sexual assault whilst working in schools. So he was placed under surveillance the next day on November 14th. He was followed for six days on trains and buses uh, where he was frequently seen trying to engage children and young women in conversation. Uh, If they ignored him or brushed him off, he would wait a few minutes and then move on to a new target.
0: So, on November 20th, he traveled to Novochurkask. He had left his house with a large jar, which he filled with beer at a small kiosk in a park. He wandered around the town, attempting to make conversation with children. He spent some time in a cafe, and upon leaving the cafe, he was arrested by plainclothes officers. Chikotillo protested his innocence. Um, He was placed in a cell at the KGB headquarters in Rostov with a police informer who was tasked with engaging Chikatilo in conversation and reporting back anything that he said. Uh, His questioning began the next day, led by uh, Isa Kostoyev, uh, the special procurator who had been brought in to uh, assist the investigation in 1985. The strategy chosen by investigators was to try and lead Chicatillo to believe he was a sick person in need of medical help and elicit a confession that way. They hoped that this would give Chigatillo hope that he would not be prosecuted by reason of insanity and therefore more forthcoming with details and hopefully a confession.
1: The case was largely circumstantial at this point, and law enforcement knew that they had ten days to hold Chikatilo before either charging or releasing him. When he was arrested, uh, a blood sample had been taken again, but it came back as type A, you know, because that's what uh, the first test came back as six years earlier. But there was so much circumstantial evidence uh, that Chikatilo was the murderer that investigators. Weren't letting him go easily again. Yeah. So they managed to obtain a sample of his semen to test. Do not ask. We don't know how <laughs> they got it. You can't get a warrant for a semen sample. It's not a thing. We don't know how they got it. Um, and this is when they found out that his, so his blood type didn't match with the type found in other bodily fluids. Uh, because his semen was type A-B, which matched the samples that had been found on 14 of the victims. So throughout his questioning with Isa Kostoyev, Chikotilo denied the murders, although he did confess to sexually assaulting his students during his teaching career. He also wrote a number of essays, um, which didn't really do anything in terms of of a confession, but they did reveal sort of psychological symptoms that were consistent with Dr. Bukhanovsky's profile. On November
0: 29th, Mikhail Fetisov and Viktor Burakov invited Dr. Bukhanovsky to help them question Chikatilo. It was reported that within two hours of Dr. Bukhanovsky joining the questioning, Chikatilo burst into tears and confessed to the murders for which he had been arrested. So um, that is the 36 Forest Path murders. Um, there there are still 17 others who either hadn't been linked or hadn't been found yet. The following morning, Chikatilo confessed to 34 of the 36 murders when uh, Isa Kostoyev resumed questioning. He denied murdering uh, Loibov Golovaka and Irina Pogrilova, in the summer of 1986. Uh, Chigatillo gave a full account of each of the murders on the list, other than those two that he denied. Uh, He drew some crime scenes and described the positions of the victims' bodies. He also recalled local landmarks near each murder site chikatilo also confessed to cannibalizing some of his victims uh but we're not going to go into detail about that because this episode is already bad enough
1: yeah i mean when i got to this part of the script i did have a kind of thought i was like oh my god everyone is going to hate us this is such a really it's heavy too script much. but i was like it is important to honor all the victims hmm and absolutely as we say if you want to find more details they are out there on the internet um yeah. we just don't want to well we don't have the time firstly to explain everything he did to every victim but it's not something we want to talk about either and it's not relevant i think Well like no i don't
0: know relevant is maybe the right word it's not pertinent because, yeah. like, ultimately, we want to tell the story and sort of the general happenings of his crimes, and we want to make sure that we highlight who his victims were. Yeah. I don't really care what his sort of criminal proclivities were. Yeah, He's a shithead. He... Yeah. <laughs>
1: Very nicely put. <laughs> Thank you. So, on November 30th, 1990, Chikatilo was formally charged with the 34 murders he had confessed to, but in the following days he confessed to a further 22 murders, which hadn't been linked to the Forest Path murders. So, as with the Forest Path murders, he was able to recall details of each of the murders and that month he was able to lead to police to some of his undiscovered victims. Three of the victims couldn't be located or identified and so Chiktilo was ultimately charged with 53 murders spanning 1978 to 1990. He was held in his cell in the KGB building in Rostov to await his trial. I've been thinking about this so this is not to say that those three victims were invented. Uh huh. Um. So yeah, before we get to the trial, we have to talk about something pretty incredible that happened in 1991. And no, it is not the births of both me and Taylor, as awesome as that is.
0: Yeah, that's pretty great. It's pretty yeah. great.
1: But it's not that. No. Uh, on December 26, 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev, the eighth and final leader of the USSR, formally dissolved the Soviet Union and the nations which had made up the Soviet Union were now independent, with Russia being recognized as kind of the de facto um, successor to the Soviet Union, and all the other countries had their independence. So Chikatilo's trial would become the first major, media event in post-Soviet Russia, and that is also why we know so much about Chikatilo, because not only had the press in Russia gained a lot of freedom throughout the 80s uh, during Gorbachev's um, time as president. Was Were they presidents? Whatever they called their leaders. Yeah, it was
0: both like leader of the Soviet Union, but he was also known as the president of the Soviet Union.
1: Yeah. So yeah, under during his presidency, so more and more freedoms had been gained and then With the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, suddenly all the world had access to uh, Russian media and was able to keep up with current events and internal affairs in Russia. And with Chikatilo's trial scheduled for April 1992, like four months later, the world's media was like captivated. It's a bit like when the press gained freedoms and they suddenly had this, you know, this really sensationalist, horrible serial killer that they could write about. It's a bit like yeah. that on the world stage as well. Because <clears throat> Russia had been closed off for decades and suddenly, like, they had a- the world had access to, to this-, this country again and lo and behold, this huge, massive trial is about to happen.
0: Yeah, quite a... Quite an entry onto the world stage. Yeah. Um, so in the summer of 1991, Chicatillo had undergone a 60-day psychiatric evaluation. He was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder with sadistic features. And it was noted that he had physiological problems which were attributed to prenatal brain damage. Uh, but ultimately, he was found fit to stand trial. So on April 14th, 1992, Chikatilo's trial began in courtroom number five of the Rostov Provincial Court. Uh, He was charged with 53 murders and five counts of sexual assault against minors from his teaching days. Uh, Now, this trial, of course, was not without its controversies. Um, Chikatilo was held in a large cage throughout the trial. Although this uh, wasn't to keep the general public safe, this was actually to keep Chicatillo safe from the public and the victims' families. Chicatillo repeatedly withdrew his confessions, stating that they were obtained under duress or weren't included on the original indictment. Uh, The trial lasted almost four months, and on August 9th, final arguments were heard. The judge set an initial date of September. 15th for himself and two official jurors to review the evidence and pass sentence, although this was postponed until October 14th.
1: Uh, When the court reconvened in October, the judge announced Chiktilo was guilty of 52 of the 53 murders he had been charged with, and he was sentenced to death for each count. He was also found guilty of the five counts of sexual assault the judge read out the list of victims and then launched an attack on law enforcement and their mistakes which had allowed Chikatilo to remain free until 1990. Although this was mostly aimed at Special Procurator uh, Isa Kostaev rather than the local law enforcement. He claimed that uh, Isa Kosteyov was negligent and dismissive after Chikitilo was placed on a suspect list in 1987. The following day, on October 15th, uh, Chiktilo was formally sentenced to death. He appealed, but uh, all his appeals were rejected, and in late 1993, he made a last ditch attempt to avoid death by appealing to the new Russian president, Boris Yeltsin, for clemency, but this too was rejected. On February 14th, 1994, Andrei Cicatillo was taken from his cell on death row in Novocherkassk prison into a soundproof room and executed with a single gunshot behind the right ear, and he's buried in an unmarked grave in the prison cemetery. And that is the story of Andrei Romanovich Chikatilo, the Red Ripper, the Rostov Ripper, the Forest Path Murderer, and the Butcher of Rostov. Oh, boy. I don't have a
0: lot to say here.
1: (laughs) I have thoughts about the date of of his execution, right? Yeah. Do they celebrate Valentine's Day in Russia? I assume they do now. Do. Let's see. I've got I've got
0: info. Oh, okay. Saint Valentine's Day came to Russia in the early 1990s and it's a relatively new holiday, although it is not observed as a public holiday, it is widely celebrated and remains one of the most popular romantic holidays in Russia. Surely yeah. it is the romantic holiday.
1: Um yeah so. so just just the idea that this guy had to go and you know shoot a serial killer who would killed you know 53 people then had to go home and have sex with his wife that <laughs> night like but I think that if you were the guy
0: who got to execute him like you'd be a pretty popular dude you know
1: yeah but you'd, depending on what gets you off you'd eat it either be like the worst sex or the best sex of your life
0: Yes. That that, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Glad he's dead. Yeah. And just what an asshole. What a what a what a like monster I think yeah. is the only
1: Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's the only word that's really appropriate, like Absolute monster. He he preyed on young people. He, you know, he was a just. He was the definition of a predator. Yeah, absolutely. He let the vulnerable in society take the blame for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, a man was executed for one of yeah. his crimes. His the yeah. first murder he committed. Um, Yelena Elena. I can't remember his surname. Um, Yeah, and uh that guy Kravchenko was mm-hmm. executed. Chikatilo was indirectly responsible for his death as well. Oh, absolutely. The uh, three
0: or four men who uh took their own lives, like...
1: Oh, yeah, that as well.
0: So if you think about that, and then you think about all of the victims, and all of those victims families or friends or love like the the ripple effect of this one absolutely horrendous creature yeah.
1: is just massive. Yeah and not only that his own family as well mm-hmm. because uh, according to our reports they had no idea about yeah. what he was doing which was um an aspect of the psychological profile the profile that his wife that, wouldn't know yeah the wife wouldn't know and she just you know let him get on with his life you know he went off traveling for work and that was that yeah um and that's also why i haven't named his his family his children yeah. in this they had to change their names because of the harassment
0: well i was gonna say i don't doubt that because especially in a situation like this where someone has murdered so many people for so many years like I'm sure there were an exponential amount of people out there who didn't believe that his family had no idea what was going on and just went Mm -hmm. after them. And, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of instances where the people around these killers have no idea what's happening because they're just that good at hiding everything.
1: Yeah, I think nowadays where we have a better idea of, like, psychological profiling and things like that. And, you know, just general popular media, true crime, mm-hmm. all the media surrounding true crime, podcasts, TV shows, all the rest of it. I think people nowadays do understand that it it isn't this weird monster that sticks out like a sore thumb. It's usually someone who blends into society. Yeah. Just easily yeah but obviously twenty thirty years ago people didn't still weren't aware of that oh yeah absolutely to to the extent that we are so yeah, yeah, it's just sad all round yes uh, definitely
0: not a fun case, but no a a a good one to cover, i suppose, yeah,
1: um Yes. So, so yeah, with, uh, with go that, and so... find a fuzzy creature. Yeah. Um a cuddly toy, anyone who you who you don't have to social distance from. Um just and you know, go go, go chill have out. a
0: drink, like go watch some TV. Just, you know, do something happy. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you've made it this far, good job. <laughs> um but yeah yeah because at one
1: point we didn't we almost didn't make it this fast yeah we weren't so sure um was a few doubts especially right in this second part so yeah which is fair
0: enough um yeah so thank you everyone for listening uh if you enjoy the podcast despite uh it's sometimes heavy nature uh we would Absolutely love it if you would give us a rating uh and a review. Um and if you uh would like to subscribe to us so you can automatically get notified when we have new episodes. Um
1: and, and we have some Halloween bonus content left to come. Yes, left, don't we? I mean we've yes. already given you a week of Halloween stuff, but there's well. more <laughs> There's more <laughs> coming before or on Saturday.
0: Yes. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Um if you want to talk about this case or any of the other things that we cover or, you know, anything at all. Um come check us out on social media. We are most active on Instagram, middle active on Facebook and minor active on, uh, Twitter, but we're in all of those places and you can find those links, um, in the show notes or on our website. Um, and yeah, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, uh, but you totally don't have to, but we, love it if you want to um then you can head on over to our patreon page uh, patreon.com slash square mile of murder and we have a bunch of different tiers with uh different perks and stuff and bonus episodes and all kinds of cool things so go check it out um
1: if you're interested yeah and yeah thank you all for listening we uh back in two weeks we're having next week off
0: yes it's Um, it's it's been a it's been a big big halloween push for the last i mean we've been planning this for like a month and a half at this point so yeah um
1: yeah we're we're, we're gonna take next week off um, yeah
0: our first vacation from the pod since we (laughs)
1: launched (laughs) yeah so we'll see you in, in this too much we'll yes. see you in two weeks time yeah
0: in early november yes the do. world will be different maybe oh. <laughs> uh, all right but yeah thanks for listening and we will see you then
1: okay. Bye-bye. bye